Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We're excited to announce our latest podcast launching this week called Behind the Billions. Coming from the two co-creators of Billions, Brian Koppelman and David Levine give a behind-the-scenes look into Billions Season 5. Following each episode's airing on Showtime, the podcast will unpack the writing of the script, exclusive stories from production, interviews with cast and crew, and much more. The first episode is out now, so make sure to subscribe to Behind the Billions on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin Berno! How you doing this Tuesday, buddy? Well, I'm doing well, considering, and given what has taken place over the course of the last few days, we have a lot to get to because we did a podcast on Friday morning and we acknowledged that there was going to be a call on Friday afternoon with the players and Adam Silver, uh, the Players Association and Adam Silver. And there was a lot of news that came out of that call. I joked that Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams and the rest would all probably be on the call. I I I sense that they weren't. I sense that they weren't on the call, but within an hour, according to audio obtained, so somebody just recorded the call and gave it to them. Um, but we had a ton of stuff that came out. We were all obviously going to be incredibly interested in what the commissioner had to say. It's different when he's talking to the public and the fans and the media, and when he is talking to the players, and so couple of majors. One major thing was he pretty quickly lowered the bar on testing. You know, there was this edict out there that the NBA, for optics and PR more than anything, did not want to be have the full testing that would re- that would be required for them to resume play without there being widespread testing amongst the American public. And yet when this call took place, the the bar was significantly lowered to frontline workers, frontline health workers in America, which is a much, 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 much different bar, as we know, than the general public. And so regarding testing, and I think he estimated 15,000 tests is what would be required. And clearly the NBA can get those. Uh, uh, from private companies if they wanted to. But what is the level of PR hit? And that's what you're trying to gauge in all of this. So the first one is kind of public relations related. It was very significant that at one point he had said, where basically everybody in America can get a test, to now where frontline workers in American healthcare can get a test. And so that at least now, like if we're talking about Candace, I think there's probably, don't you feel like the realization, like, yo, you ain't getting to that point. All right. You're not getting to the point where everybody in America is going to be able to get a test if that's what you're going to be comfortable with. It sounded like they are at least comfortable with the idea that, hey, we can't be playing if frontline healthcare workers in America can't get it, but that they, that's kind of the bar now. Sure. And one of the other parts of that call as well was about how if one player were to test positive, uh, that player would be removed. It's not that the entire operation would get shut down if one player were to get it or even if two players or three players were to get it. Uh, That player would end up being a, a DNP coronavirus for two weeks or three weeks or until that player it no longer has the virus. And that's a big thing moving forward for for players to accept that level of risk that will be involved for some period of time for the NBA, which is also true for us in society as you know, states, right or wrong, do start to reopen businesses. Uh, is It's about accepting some level of risk, you know, wearing masks, taking safety precautions for us just as it is for the NBA. So 
for them, you know, as you said, Chris, it, it's interesting that they did seem to lower the bar in terms of like acquiring those tests. A lot of it does have to do with PR and, you know, a lot of that is to do with timing as well for the NBA by the time they do return to action or they hope to return the action. MLB this week is supposed to unveil their plan, uh, according to multiple reports last week. That's supposed to be out there some maybe today. Who knows? Uh, by you know, NFL already released their schedule. PGA Tour will be back. Uh, NBA will already have some other sports leagues that started or is about to start before they do. Uh, so that PR hit probably won't be there quite as much for them. Yeah, and more importantly, though, hopefully. Testing is more widespread at that point for lots and lots of people across the country. And the NBA could also, if they want to, they could buy tests for people too, in addition to doing it for their own players. That, uh, that I haven't seen that, you know, as an actual option. Others have thrown that out there as an idea, but that's something the NBA could do through, you know, NBA CARES program in the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Well, and it's, it's, it's obviously going to be selective outrage. Have you... when you're dealing with any of this stuff, have you seen a lot of people bitching about how the UFC did their thing or how WWE is continuing? I mean, I'm sure it's out there. It's not widespread, right? I think everybody could freely admit you're not sitting there reading some kind of massive controversy about how these leagues are doing it. People are happy that they are having live sporting events on. They're not sitting around bitching about how these guys got tested. At some point, you just need to stop caring what Twitter thinks. Right. Twitter is such a small percentage of society. And there, there is a, I mean, when it comes to stuff like this, the Twitter opinion obviously matters in the sense that from the NBA perspective, I'm strictly talking or from any, you know, sporting sports league, it matters in the sense that, that thought process that happens on Twitter can, you know, snowball into the mainstream, you know, consciousness. And that's what the NBA and, you know, UFC and MLB, they would want to avoid happening. But the fact is, is it didn't happen with UFC. It's not happening with baseball's plan. It's not going to happen probably for anything. It's just a concern for these leagues to have in the back of their mind. Um, it's probably not going to happen. And, but, even then, at some point, you just need to stop caring about what are, what Twitter thinks and do what you think is best for your family or for your business uh, or for your, for your sports league. Well, and here's the deal. Um, there was the there's the health stuff, which was the testing and how that could take place. And then he he did outline the two different places that we have talked about a lot. Orlando and Las Vegas as two potential places uh, where they would be able to put on the games. And then you get into what really matters, which is this statement of him saying we have, you know, two years of collective bargaining to do in two months because so many things are going to have to be agreed upon. And I think when you when you look at all of the things that have to be agreed upon, um, most importantly, what the salary cap is going to look like, uh, how money gets dispersed over the course of the next you know, year and a half and setting a number for next year and all of this collective bargaining that has to be done. It, I think it's fair for anybody to sit back and say, this is insanely daunting. I, I wish this upon nobody. He tried to outline from the beginning, hey, um, 40% and he put a number on it, 40% basically, um, of our revenue comes from gate receipts, concessions, game night receipts. Um, all of that constitutes about 40%. And, and he went on to say, obviously the collective bargain agreement is put together in reference to kind of what we made one year and then projecting forward to what we make the next year. Well, good luck with that. I mean, how the hell are you supposed to, you know, like, and, and, and he's saying, and who knows? Cause we don't know if we're going to be able to have fans. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave of this. And so how do you project what you are going to make revenue wise? I mean, he says in the call, the collective bargaining agreement was not built for an extended pandemic. And, and now that's why all of this has to be bargained. And so if you're, it's a, it's a very simple 
formula, typically, here's what we brought in. So, like, let's roughly say $8 billion is what we would have brought in. Instead, we're going to bring in about six. So now we need to recalibrate everything. But how the hell can we know what we're going to make next year? If we if we say 40% is from Gates and, and, and things related to people going to live games, and we have no idea when that would be available to us, like, how can you... How can you know a number? You can't. You can't. Uh, and so how do you bargain this? That's what I'm saying. Like it's like, oh my god, you just can't. And that that's what's going to make what they do with the salary cap so fascinating to see whether they keep and they have an artificial number and you know do what they're doing now with you know certain a certain percentage of player salaries being kept uh, depending on a re- how much lower revenue is. Who really knows? What's going to end up happening? The fact that the, the what we do know is, as, as Adam Silver said, the the league and the collective bargaining agreement wasn't built for a pandemic, and we don't know what the league is going to look like moving forward. Which is why, as certain players, especially I believe it was Jared Dudley over the weekend, you know, tweeted about and you know posted on Instagram about this is why there's urgency to get back because. If they just wait until there's a until there's a vaccine, um, at that point there's still that no was, guarantee. He pretty well took that off the table. You yes, know? and it's just not happening. It's just not happening, right? It's not even it's not even in consideration. Uh, they're going to do everything they can to try to get games back because of the fact that if they don't do that, the league, you know. It's not going to end. It's not like it's not like the the NBA is not going to cease to exist if they were to take that path, but it would have a a, a long term detrimental effect to the league and to the livelihood of many players. To like down to the ball boys, and a lot of jobs would be lost. A lot of jobs could be lost as is. Um, salaries could be lowered significantly as is, but. Uh, the effects of waiting that long would be even more detrimental to the league for the players. Like I said, all the way down through the organization. Um, and that's why there's an urgency to get back. It's not just for the players or not just for, for money. It's about livelihoods of people out there uh, that, that are all involved and connected to this game. Yeah. And so now what, like I heard Bobby Marks, who's obviously uh, tremendous on all cap related things uh, from ESPN. And he was kind of outlining in an interview that he did that, you know, if we say the cap was whatever, $119 million or something. And, and he was using those rough numbers. He said eight, eight, let's say it's 8 billion, but then it ends up being 6 billion. So your cap goes from what was projected to be 115, 119, whatever to like 95. Well, so now, how do those salaries all fit into this? What is the luxury tax number? Um, you need that luxury tax number in order. I mean, honestly, the way the NBA works, those luxury tax numbers in many cases subsidize some of the smaller markets. Um, if you're not, if you're doing, you know, the the luxury tax number, if you lowered the cap, that amount for somebody like a Warriors is absolutely punitive. Like there's just no way that that could be the case. And so he threw out some different ideas and I thought they were pretty fascinating. Like one was, let's say uh, Steph Curry is supposed to make $42 million next year, right? That if you do lower the cap to say 95, well then Steph Curry actually counts against the cap, the same percentage as he would have, right? Like, so the percentage is the same, but with the cap going down, his number on the cap is like 35 million instead of 42. And so your 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 guys are still getting paid what they were going to get paid with the cap going down in terms of when we're doing this for luxury tax. When we're doing it for luxury tax, those guys still get what percentage of the salary cap they were going to get um but their number against the new cap is obviously not as high as what they will actually be getting paid. That would it enable teams to be able to function through the draft, free agency, and whatever else. But, I mean, these are all the kind of things that are, I mean, there's a there's a million things to work out, Kevin, and it just, my God, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't wish this upon anybody because these are really, really hard decisions, and what you hope 
is that there's not some kind of terrible, like bad blood that comes from this because many times whenever there's collective bargaining in any of the leagues, you have a great risk of tremendous bad blood that comes out with it. And they ain't got time for that, right? They don't have time to fight all that much uh, about this kind of stuff. And so I guess we'll see, but I mean, you're talking about a big, you got a lot of smart people there. Maybe they can figure it out. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can all figure it out. I mean, there's no, there's no right solution here with everything that's happening. There's for every good thing that can come from one plan, there's a, there's a, a bad potential outcome that can also come from it. So, you know, for all of us that everything you just said applies. What do you, all right. What do you think about the whole, cause you've done, you did a lot of reporting on this and we talked about it on Friday. The idea that teams that are like towards the bottom, like what are they coming back for? Like if we're playing X number of regular season games at the end and they really don't have a chance to make the playoffs. And so you can you can preach the greater good of the league or whatever else, but what are they really coming back for? And I also thought it was fascinating because you and I talked about this after after your article came out. He left that play-in tournament thing on, and I think that uh, on the table. And I do wonder because you know you had you had broached this in an earlier article that like they they were they've been talking about this and maybe as soon as next year putting in a play-in tournament anyway. And I know when you had talked to someone, they said they don't really want to change on the fly. But if you're already if you're already really like you know discussing that and thinking about it coming about a year from now then maybe you do. I mean, I don't, it's obviously, uh, listen, something's going to be unfair to somebody. That's just the necessary evil of all of this. But the idea of, you know, I don't know what, through 12 maybe? Like, you know, eight eight through 12, or, you know, seven through 12 or something like that, you know, or playing some kind of a tournament for the playoff spots. I don't know. What do you think? You th- do you still think that could be off the table? I mean, he. I mean, it's got to be bargained, you know. I mean, to get back to your original point, if you know the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers yeah. and the Atlanta Hawks, Timberwolves, you know, are asked to play games because there's, you know, not asked to play games, told to play games because they do have the ability to either finish the regular season or finish the majority of it. Well, that's what it is you're you're finishing the games you're obligated to play uh maybe you can argue whether it's worth it whether you should but that would be true during a normal year and mid mid to late march and april as it would be if those games take place in july well Uh, i guess guess your motivation is hey we'll send yeah right we'll send you your check otherwise we won't send you your check i guess i guess that could be the motivation but are you playing are you playing steph curry i mean really you playing I mean, Steph Curry? Uh, uh, does he have an injury? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, last we saw, no, he he wasn't hurt. But I mean, like, who knows? This is this is what's going to end up happening. Where, like, let's say all thirty teams can return, it would not shock me at all if certain guys are like, I don't want to play. I don't want to play. I want to stay home and you know be with my family. Yeah, I want to stay home and not risk this. That could happen. I, I, that would not shock anybody if one or two guys or multiple guys wanted to sit out uh i mean we'll we'll see what happens in that regard but you know to answer your question like just finishing the games and getting your paycheck would be the incentive for going back to play and you know for for a lot of guys and then for other guys like i said i talked to larry nance i talked to other players about it this and a lot of guys want to come back a lot of guys want to get going maybe it's split like 60%, 70% 60%, 70% of guys want to get back and play. Some are ready for their summer vacations, which is not that great of a summer vacation because of everything happening. But some guys are ready just to move on and turn the page to next year. But for the most part, though, guys do want to get back, even guys on some bad teams with no hope of making the playoffs. And maybe, you know what? Maybe, as you said, a playoff playing tournament is the way to incentivize those teams to get back. Maybe that does end up happening. What I heard last week from a number of sources is that it is a less of a likelihood than perhaps it may have been when discussions started up around mid-March. And right. but and I I tend to subscribe to the side that would not want it 
this this summer based on the fairness. I would love to see it as an experimentation. I would love to see a trial here because I think there's it's a win-win in the sense that you get to try something new, and if it works, it is an easier push for implementing in the future. And if it stinks, if you know what, maybe even coming from someone like me who loves the idea of it, if it sucks, maybe maybe then you realize, you know what, maybe this isn't right for the NBA. So I would love to see it in that sense. But for the, for, uh, and the, in the act of fairness, I don't think it's totally fair, but as you correctly did say, Chris, this isn't necessarily fair for anybody. And this is, you know, it, like, it's like, I'm curious, you know, from a Grizzlies perspective, like, you know, you know, Memphis right now is three and a half up on Portland, New Orleans and Sacramento. But if they're not finishing the last 15 to 20 games of the season for every team. Uh, it's not, it's clearly not fair for anybody not to get the full amount of games. So maybe the, the middle ground would be a tournament to, to decide the playoff teams. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts from a Grizzlies perspective? I would think that you should get some kind of advantage in said tournament. That's what I would. Yeah. Think. Yeah. You I, need maybe, to get it. Yeah, that, because it, that is wildly unfair. You, you know, look, they outperformed them for 65 games. You know what I'm saying? Six yep. over the course of 65 games, they developed a three and a half game lead. So, <laughs> what's what's fair here now, right? Like now, what, what, what we're, we don't get we don't get to go in that on even on uh, you know some kind of uh, where we're all even because we weren't all even. So that's we don't we don't all start from zero here. Like there has to be some kind of advantage, whether that means a buy you know, to move on to the next round. So you don't have to win as many games as some of the teams ranked lower than you. If you're having come, some kind of a tournament like that. The other thing is this, he did say, which I thought was fascinating. He wants to have a full on playoffs. He wants to have the full seven game playoff series all yeah. the way from the jump. Well, if that is so, and we are ruling out the best three out of five, which I am in favor of we're the three not, out not, of five. We're not ruling that out, though. We're not ruling that out because, as I reported last week, the plan A is to finish the entire regular season and finish the entire postseason with full seven-game series. But they are, have the ability and the flexibility to adapt and start cutting and trimming games or cutting and trimming series yeah. if necessary. So, of course, that's their number one plan. And that's what they want to do. It doesn't well, mean that's what they'll end up doing. You're they clearly might against have to the clock. Do a five game series. You're, yeah, you you're, are. You're against the clock on this, right? So, so, so they they may have to end up completing a postseason within a 30 day window. And if that's the case, then you've got to start trimming games. Which so is better to you? We don't though. know. Uh, you know what I mean? Finishing because, finishing as planned with like the whole season and postseason. Of no, course, no, 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 no. I, of course, that's the best option. But yeah. I'm saying if those options, would you rather have everybody play some regular season games and then have a shortened beginning of the playoffs or just jump into the playoffs and have a full on playoffs? Because one of the things, and I thought this was a little bit persuasive, was in order to establish, you know, the, the champion. Right, the champion did what the other teams did, which was win full-on playoff series. Like no asterisks uh, next to this. Like yes, there was this global pandemic, and yes, there was a shortened season, but they went through the playoffs just like every all of their other champion predecessors had before. Um, I don't know, you know, which, which, which is which is better, somebody that has to do what every other champion has had to do, or going out and playing. X number of regular season games if it means shortening up the first couple of rounds. I don't know what the great answer is on that, by the way. And I don't have some kind of massively strong opinion on it. I don't know. I mean, I don't either. And as I as we talked about on Friday, and that's what the league has to weigh when, mm -hmm. when it comes to what is more financially beneficial. Is it about having teams finish more of their RSN games for the regional sports networks, or is it about having more of the national TV games in the postseason? So that's you know the financial side, but then what has is it worth the greater health risk of having more teams playing games? I don't know the answers to these questions, and I'm not sure anybody does. Well, um, and obviously, so, look so the way the they will see the reason they went to the seven in the first place is to not get a wonky. 
you know, a, 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 a team in there, right? That they look back and they say, oh, geez, well, if it would have been best four out of seven, you know, the best team usually prevails amongst that. Whereas you at least open the door more when you only have to win three games. And so clearly they, what they would not want to happen is they have a three-game series and whoever, you know, the Nets knock off whoever the two-seed is right now, Toronto or whoever. Or, like, you're knocking out some really good teams at the beginning where you might not have if it was best four out of seven, but you did when it's three out of five. I mean, this is what happened in the in the strike season, right? The Knicks were the eighth seed and ended up going to the NBA Finals. Um and look, like in the end, that was a small. Uh, that wasn't some small market team that made it to the end. So it wasn't a massive disappointment that the Knicks made it. But it was the the idea was, oh well, what if you would have played four out of you got to win four out of seven the whole way? You know, would this have happened? And and then you had other teams that you know when the Nuggets won with Mutombo holding the ball over his head and whatnot. Um, you saw more upsets at least and so you've already got this shortened season and we have no idea how any of these guys are going to look or perform when they come back like we're already set up for greater variance in competition wouldn't you say whatever the competition was going to be if this was normal and just played itself out is going to be radically different after everybody's been sitting around for two and a half months Sure. You know, yeah, was, you know. There's there's likely more variants uh, in this postseason. So how do you think. get? How think. do you how do you at least get the most rightful champion that you can? And I think that's probably the interest in having a full and robust playoffs. Beyond that, the money and the TV deal, and that the playoffs matter a great deal towards that television deal. Yeah, and, and we'll you're trying see to do possible. right by that. Right. We'll we'll see what's possible. I mean, what's what's planned? Like I said, it, it goes without saying that a f- completing the regular season and the postseason would be Plan A. Um, we'll see what ends up happening for the NBA. But I will add this: I mean, you're ha- you have Major League Baseball talking about an 82 game schedule. That that's correct, right, Bobby? Like that seems to be what might end up happening for baseball, right? Yeah, I think like around 80 games or so. Although and, and, that that idea has been changed just in what they've leaked to the press or or what's been discussed to reporters has been changed three or four times in the last three weeks. Like it doesn't really seem like they're narrowing in the way that the NBA might feel like they can at this point because they already have the benefit of having played 65 games. Exactly. And now that's the point I'm getting to, you know, for the for NBA, it is a far less steep of a challenge here to complete a season than it would be for baseball. Um, and if, if baseball is able to get 82 games, granted, that's a far different sport, you know, less contact, you know, every, everything that goes without saying comparing baseball and basketball, um, it, it is a greater challenge for those sports leagues that haven't begun their seasons than it is for the NBA to complete theirs. Um, so you're comparing apples and oranges here, but for the NBA, if they can complete, the, if if MLB can get an 82 game season in, then NBA probably can complete their regular season. Um, but we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, but I am cautiously optimistic that we will see some type of basketball over the summer. Uh, and if not, they're going to do everything in their power to try to get games to happen. I think that's true. Also, um, and and it, once everybody makes their plans and sports start again, it's going to make it so much easier. You do feel like the, the NBA cares more about what people think than the other leagues do. <laughs> Certainly more than the NFL. They don't give a damn. They don't care what you think. Right? They're just trucking. Like, you don't see all these questions regarding how are they going to do it. Like, it's just this understanding that, that football's happening. I mean, I mean, the right? thing is, is, like, maybe those... I mean, the, maybe those questions should be asked. No. Right? I, uh, how, I mean, they, they it's are certainly an argument. Fair. It's certainly yeah, a, I mean, a, a I mean, totally they, they, justifiable they argument. For, for safety of society. I mean, we like the fact is, is we just, I've said this a hundred times, but we just don't know what the right solution is here moving forward. There's no clear cut best plan because of the ripple effects um, of shutting down or, you know, the amount of deaths that could occur by opening up. I mean, <sighs> this all sucks, man. This, it all this, sucks. That, 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 that I sucks. agree with yeah, you. Hey, what does, sucks. what does not suck is the last dance. 
Um, we had episodes seven and eight uh, yep, that seven took and eight, place baby. that took place on Sunday night since we last spoke. And Kevin, I told you I loved five and six. I thought they were the best so far. Seven and eight took it to a whole nother level. I'm with um, you. I'm with you. These are the oh, best two. They were so good. So good. They dealt with everything from his father's death to uh, the finals uh, that they won the, the, the first time around uh, 93. And then when he walks away and that to me, this one, t- it was obviously close to my heart because as I'm watching that all play out and that night at the White Sox game, when that story broke, that was during the Major League Baseball playoffs and that story broke um, that there was going to be a press conference and that the expectation is this is going to be Michael Jordan's retirement. And then it became, oh, my God, Michael Jordan is retiring. That was my 15th birthday. No lie. Wow. In, uh, in 1993, that, the night of that game, the baseball game. And I remember being absolutely devastated. I mean, it's all anybody talked about. I mean, it was it, it it almost like the best justice it could give the situation was seeing those people like in schools watching the press conference and like people that were like Tom Brokaw and everybody in the in the world being <laughs> Tom there. Brokaw, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, right? Like this is the guy from NBC Nightly News. Um, everybody, <laughs> it was, and, and and then Connie Chung's doing all these reports over it and everything. I mean, it was it wasn't like. It wasn't sports news. This was like world news that took place. And Michael Jordan was the biggest athlete to everybody around my age. It wasn't even close. Um, And he was probably the most popular person in the world when he announced his retirement. And so you kind of got this outline and there's been this buildup to it all. The, The relationship with his father, his father's devastating passing that takes place. Um, and then you have all of the, you know, the just being overwhelmed by all of the celebrity being overwhelmed by people jumping him for the gambling stuff and trying to tear him down and whatever else. And then you have this walking away. Um, I thought it was pretty persuasive. The whole I've got to play in the Olympics and Magic and Larry never won three in a row. So I've got to do that. And so. That's what I'm chasing. Like, that was kind of the carrot out there. I don't know. There's always been the conspiracy theories and everything else about why he walked away. I thought that, I thought the way they all, they outlined it all was rather persuasive. Um, As you were watching it, were you persuaded by the fact that it was what seemed so intensely abnormal was normalized through the doc? It, it felt, I mean, if you, let's say you went into this without knowing any of those conspiracy theories yep. that you're touching on. Uh, I think you would have watched this and been like, no, duh. Right. <laughs> you of know, course I don't he walked away. I, yeah, I, I don't think it would have even have been a question had you not known about any of that going in. Um, so, I mean, for me, like I, I've never necessarily had strong feelings about some of those conspiracy theories uh, involving Jordan leaving the game. It just never made sense for the reason I believe David Stern or somebody said in that documentary. Why would you? Why would you get rid of the guy who's a cash cow for your game? Is one of and is the primary reason the game was growing so much so rapidly globally. Not to mention that. <laughs> If that were the case, had he been, you know, banished from the game for 18 months because of gambling, why would you let him buy a team? <laughs> it just <laughs> never made any sense to me. But any, well, anyway, I mean, I am, I, I was, I'm persuaded a lot. And I've talked a lot about the the father stuff that's been within this documentary that, you know, when, when trauma takes place and, and it's not just that he lost his dad, it's the manner in which, I mean, it was absolutely positively devastating and then you see how close they were and how he was always by his side i can see somebody making a decision that they wouldn't normally make right when in after tragedy people do this all the time people people end up getting uh divorced people end up changing their jobs people end up doing all manner of things when some kind of real tragedy takes place in their life you know that they all of a sudden make different decisions 
than maybe they normally would. And I think they're, it, I think they've made a pretty, uh, I, I thought it was well outlined um, watching it, how look at all these things and the kind of adding up of all of it. And then beyond all of it, the whole, my dad saw my last game and then his father's tragic passing. When you team that up with all the other stuff that just felt like it was all too much for him to deal with, it, make, it makes a lot more sense. At the time, it made no sense. To me as a kid, it made absolutely no sense. I don't know about all this stuff going on. I didn't even care. I didn't even know or care about the gambling. I mean, you're 15 years old. You don't care about none of that stuff. He's just the best basketball player in the world, and he's on every commercial, and you love him. And that was just devastating for him to walk away when he did, you know? Um, I thought they did a really good job with that. The, the, I, video, the uncut video of him crying on the floor oh after my God. winning his fourth championship. That was, uh, I mean, that was unbelievable. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that rarely performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions at all. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA for a free online visit and start your new skincare routine today. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. Eligibility requirements and additional terms do apply. And now back to the mismatch. I know a lot of people have done deep dives on all of this, uh, so we're not going to go through every little part, but I, I just a couple other significant portions that I want to add. I, I want you to add yours. Um, Scotty Pippen is like, he's just being defiant at this point when like, and, and I almost wondered if he's watching the documentary, if he's just going to stand by that forever, but they chronicled him not going into the game, which you can, I mean, can you fathom if that happened now, Kevin? Oh my God. If that it, happened it was now. A, it was a bad look. It oh, was a but, bad look. But imagine him. if it happened now. Oh, I like know. Everybody wasn't talking to everybody and everybody didn't have an, uh, you know, everybody didn't have an opinion that you knew of, you know, way back when, um, you know, it was kind of that you talked to the people you talked to and there was the newspaper and there was very, very, very sparse amounts of even like sports radio or anything. And there were no like hardcore opinion shows outside of like, you know, you would tune in on Sunday mornings and maybe see like the collection of newspaper writers, the sports reporters. They kind of like were the only guys that had like opinions on things, really. The rest of it was pretty well just quote journalism, as it were. Um, but him th to this day saying, I wouldn't change anything is such BS. Bro, stop. It's There's the no only, it's the only stain on anything for him. There is nothing bad to say about <laughs> Scottie Pippen unless you want to shit on him for the migraine game. But well, or or the delayed surgery because he didn't want to lose a summer. That but too. people but what I'm saying is and, like and demanding a trade from a championship contender. An older hardcore segment of basketball fans, like the Bill Simmons of the world, right? That are aware of everything and have read every book about everything. They're aware of that. Most people don't even know that. Unless they watch this documentary, they don't even remember that. It was not, again, with the way news was covered, it wasn't the deal it would be like now when somebody does that. That being said, I cannot believe that him at his age now sits there and looks in the camera and says he wouldn't do it back. When it, you're sitting there having a talk about it 25 years later, for God's sakes, you know, <laughs> like, like what? Like if there was one thing you would do differently, that would be it. You know, like if I just said you could take anything back, you could change anything. What would you change? Of course, 
you would change that. It, it just feels like people have been crapping on him for so many years that now he's just defiant about it. But I just, you, you couldn't believe either. I cannot believe in good conscience that he would not change that moment. I mean, poor Bill Cartwright he, was crying in the locker he, room. Come I mean, on. He, he, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it was a sourpuss move at the time for him, for him to do that. And, and now it's, as you said, he's just being defiant. He's just being stubborn. He's not willing to admit his wrongs, which is right. true. So, so many people are unwilling to admit their faults or when they're wrong, when they should have done something differently. It's just human nature for a lot of people that, that it's hard to admit your own wrongs and for Scotty Pippen, clearly that's something he looks back on and, and feel, and, and maybe, maybe deep down inside, he knows he was wrong in that moment, but he's not going to tell us that, which is unfortunate, uh, because it was a, a dirty move to do that. I mean, Tony Kukoc, as they outlined in that documentary was a go-to guy down the stretch for large portions of the season. And I mean, fact is, is Scotty Pippen, like he's uh, one of the greatest players of all time, for reasons beyond scoring. Tony Kukoc is not, but every guy has a role that can cr- contributes to winning. Uh, and, and and that's what makes it an unfortunate moment for me to look back at. And yet, despite all that, they won six championships together. They are the greatest dynasty of NBA history, uh, post 50s, 60s Celtics, you know, in the modern era. Uh, yep. the, despite these issues, as you said, Imagine if that happened today. Um, I do wonder if with all the media attention today, things would have been different for that team. However, I still think back to one of the earlier episodes. I forget if it was after episode. I forget which episode it was, but after winning their fifth championship, when they're at the podium, you know, being questioned about will Michael Jordan come back? Will he retire at the podium after winning the NBA finals? There still was a lot of media attention at the time, it was just different. It wasn't virtual. It wasn't online like it is today. But players still felt the attention as they do today. Maybe no differently except for the fact that it's not in your face or in your phone. You're not getting live feedback. Instead, you're reading the newspapers. So maybe it was the same in the sense that it was relative to the times as it would be today. Um, granted, technological innovations with cell phones and everything have has been a game changer. Um, people can met like we see it with Kevin Durant. <laughs> would Michael Jordan have had a burner account with Scottie Pippen? I bet Scottie Pippen would have had a burner account. <laughs> well, and you, you know what, you know, what's maybe crazy? he does, <laughs> you know, you, you know, what's crazy. I have a, I, I have a guy that works with me every single day. Um, who's, I, I think he, he's around 24, 25, something like that. He had no idea that Pippen thing had happened. None. He'd never heard that. With the him not going into the game? No. Yeah. Massive basketball fan. Massive NBA fan. He had never heard that story. That's why I say, dude, there's no way you don't regret that. Like, there's 25-year-olds yeah. that, like, just know Scottie Pippen as an unbelievable Jordan and Pippen, you know, sidekick, Hall of Famer in his own right. He had never heard that story there's until the last who know dance. Him just as a, there's people who know him just as an ESPN commentator. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess. I mean, he, he's well aware of his NBA career, but until yeah. the last dance had never heard that story. And I think that's true of a lot of people from the younger generation. You know what I mean? You're watching that and you're like, what the hell? And so to say, I mean, God. There's more people that became aware of it last night than were aware of it at the time, probably. You know? By the way, uh, I, I'm glad that the documentary has done a good. People have talked about like, is this good journalism? You know, because Michael Jordan has control. I don't care about that. I'm just uh, that's what had to happen for the documentary to be made. But what I'm happy about is they have taken a fair, well-rounded look at a lot of these guys. We are Absolutely. seeing some of the, the bad side of Scottie Pippen that we just talked about. We have seen the stuff with Michael Jordan ripping it into his teammates. We heard about the Steve Kerr fight. Uh, we saw Jordan sort of break down at the hey. end of episode seven. I mean, I'm okay, glad two we're things. seeing all this. Two things. Number one, I'll just cover the Kerr fight briefly. <laughs> the first thing that stands out about the story about the Kerr fight to me is Bro, he didn't have his phone number. Yes. <laughs> like, like I didn't see Thank anybody you. mentioning Thank that. Thank you. I was hoping you I was hoping you said that. I didn't see anybody <laughs> tweeting about that. I didn't see anybody mention that, but I'm like, 
That just got glossed over the fact that he caught he, he freely admits I had to ho- holler at somebody to get his number. And I'm like, holy crap. And then that is a very important moment in the documentary because I do think it adds another dimension to Jordan that does help him in a way. He was worried that people were going to watch this stuff and not like him. That's clearly not a great story. But when you hear him saying, I felt terrible about it. I just beat up the littlest guy on the team, right? I called him. I apologize. I apologize to Phil, whatever. It gives you this other dimension. It gives the, quote, tyrant, as he phrased himself, um, this other dimension that he is not, you know, uh, cold-hearted to the bone. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is not without remorse when he does wrong or when his competitiveness or whatever it may be sends him off the hook. He has an awareness. There clearly is a line, right? And beating your teammates ass is a line. <laughs> you know, that that he he knew he crossed. You know what I'm saying? Instead of in the it for the sake of uh the competition and this way it's gonna be and if you want to punch me, I'm gonna punch you back. He felt bad about that. Like I thought he legitimately felt bad about that. And I think that's why when people watch this, they don't come away thinking what a raging a-hole this guy was. Because if you defended punching Steve Kerr in his head, there would, of course, be, there's going to be the bros out there like, yeah, you showed him, you know. That's what you get for messing, that's what you get for messing with my bitch. You know, that kind of stuff. On the other hand, him showing remorse about it makes him that much more likable, don't you think? I thought that was important. I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. I mean, like what Michael Jordan did wasn't, bullying you know bullying has malicious intent bullying 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 is trying to tear down someone and often as a reflection of your own insecurities if you're a bully jordan took a a very harsh approach to be fair which is why he got emotional about talking about it but ultimately he was just trying to get his teammates on the same place that he was as a competitor and after the failures that he experienced, he touched on how, when he came back, the guy, the guys on this new, new look bulls team hadn't been there with him through the trials and tribulations, the ups and the downs that he had experienced throughout his career since being drafted. And he was just trying to get those guys to that same place where he was as a competitor. Uh, and I'm sure for him, it is clearly, it is hard looking back at some of the things that he said and the choices that he made, but it wasn't with malicious intent necessarily. Things just <laughs> things just happened to happen, <laughs> including the fight with Steve Kerr. So the other thing that you mentioned was the end of episode seven, which is as good a two and a half minutes as you could see in anything. Oh, yeah. Um, and he gets very emotional during his conversation with the directors uh, in talking about his treatment of uh, of his teammates, and so. I saw uh, I saw an interview that was done by the director of this, um, and he said he was talking about that very moment, and he said that moment that we saw at the end of episode seven where he chokes up and he's talking about you know the way he plays and if you don't want to play that way, okay, and then he stops him. He said he had eleven pages of questions for Jordan, and that particular moment took place. 45 minutes into the first interview they ever did 45 minutes in. And he said, he, um, he said, what I came to notice from all of these questions and all of this time we spent with him and all that time on camera. And there's only a few times that he asked to break or he got emotional. He said, there were two things. There was the family stuff when his family comes up and talking about his family and his mother reading that letter from home <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And he said, the other one is his philosophy on life and how to play and defending that and feeling like he has to defend that. It makes him emotional every time, like when he gets to talking about it. And those are the only two things. Like he could talk about anything all the time. But the only times that we were ever asked to stop or that he would get emotional about something were either defending his philosophy on life or something to do with his family. Um, And he also, this was great. He, in the interview, says this was the question he asked him. When we, because we just see the clip, we don't see the question, right? 
is all the intensity and all that success you've achieved worth the cost of being perceived as a nice guy? That's what he asked him. That elicited that answer that he gives at the end of episode seven. And when somebody gets emotional like that on camera, it is, Kev, I mean, that is something a documentary can do that no movie with actors can pull off. I will never forget, years ago, there was a documentary that came out, which during quarantine, if people are looking for something to watch, it won the Oscar for the best documentary. It was filmed in Memphis. It's called Undefeated, and it's about a high school football team, and it's one of the best things you'll ever watch in your life, I promise you. Undefeated is the name, but I don't know if it's on Netflix or whatever. I went to the premiere of this documentary, and there's a scene in the movie where a kid cries, and, the, and, the, and there's a tight shot on the kid, and there's a single tear that runs down, and you see it welling up in his eye, and it runs down his face. And everybody in the entire theater is just bawling their eyes out, just bawling. And I am sitting by one of my friends who, here's a great name drop, uh, movie director Craig Brewer. He's done like Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan. He just did Dolomite on Netflix. He's actually doing uh, Coming to America 2. And you know what he told me? He got the entire cast, Eddie Murphy, uh, James Earl Jones, Arsenio Hall, everybody. They're filming that right now. But Craig's sitting next to me at this documentary. And I look over at him. He looks at me. We're both bawling. We get done with the movie. And he said, Chris, I could make a thousand movies with the best actors in the world. And I can never get that moment. Ever. <laughs> you cannot you can't recreate that. You can't. And it's like that moment in time in a documentary where it's just so raw and it's so real. And we got that, man. I would, I, I tell you this, Kev, this is God's honest truth. I paused at the end of seven. I was like, I can't go straight into eight. I cannot go in straight into the second episode. Like, I need a minute. <laughs> like, I was so <laughs> like, I was so overwhelmed by that. I was so overwhelmed by that. Really. It was just incredible. Um, and for that to be the way that episode ends, oh, my God. That's as good a TV as I've seen in forever. Seriously. You have it. me thinking about uh, just the raw, the rawness of documentaries, documentaries. And for some reason, what comes to mind is this doc called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. Have you ever seen that? No. Uh, that's, that's a tearjerker. I, I love documentaries. I, 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 I've watched. Um, that's what I like the most. Like I like nonfiction books and I like documentaries. I do. I like real stuff. Um, you should you should check out Dear Zachary. I, I forget. I mean, it's been probably maybe 10 years since I saw that. Maybe maybe longer. But uh, I don't remember lost every. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a really, really, really emotional movie. Gotcha. Um, is the, there is there a good doc, there must be a 30 for 30 or a documentary about Jordan's baseball uh, ex, uh, time playing baseball because there is yeah there I mean yeah there has to be multiple probably you didn't see was, it no I haven't no oh there was a it was the it was the whole Birmingham story yeah it's called Jordan rides the bus yeah Jordan rides the Jordan bus Jordan rides the bus I have not seen that so I need to watch that because I loved the portion with him playing baseball for multiple reasons one of them being that i'm glad that it was spun as a success for him because to go play professional baseball after 14 15 years of not picking up a bat competitively and to hit over 200 in double a then hit over 250 in the fall league is a remarkable athletic achievement baseball is freaking hard man like, oh. Bobby, you can speak to this better than i can too but no, like, i was no. I, I i was i was glad that it was told in that way because it's it's a heck of an achievement for him i can speak that. to the, i can speak to this on the most embarrassing of levels so about four or five years ago my buddy has uh he has a baseball team here in town that like oh, when college kids come back in town like during the summer like college baseball players they all like they play in this league Right. Or guys that played in college, but still want to keep on playing. It's like a men's league, except it's young men. Right. And some of the kids are like just getting some at bats in and whatever. And then they're going to go back to school. And so he's like, hey, I'm down a player. Can you come play? I'm like, bro, I haven't played baseball in like forever. Like it's <laughs> at forever. I like I, I mean, I've been to a batting cage. That's about it. 
Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about all that. So he's like, you'll play right field. And he's like, you don't even have to do anything. He's like, I need a player. I was like, whatever. So I show up, right? Of course, I'm like playing right field. I'm batting glass, whatever. I get up there. I see this kid on the mound pitching. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I thought you told me that this was like a men's league or something. It's a kid who's like one of the starters at Middle Tennessee State University. He is throwing so hard, Kevin. Like, he's in the 90s, right? <laughs> All right, so I, much less I haven't played baseball in 100 years, I stand up at the, it might have been the most embarrassing moment of my life. I stood up in the box. Number one, I'm terrified because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to react in time if this ball comes at my head. The, dude, I heard the ball hit the mitt before I swung. <laughs> like, I heard it. That's how I had absolutely no chance, none, none. And I mean, I've been to a batting cage or whatever, like, and this was, this is just a college, this is a college pitcher. And this is probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. I, I didn't even see the ball. I'm not kidding. I didn't see it at all. And then I heard it in the mitt and then I swung. I mean, it was like something out of a cartoon or something. <laughs> it was horrible. And so when I see so, and this guy is obviously like the best athlete in the world at the time, Jordan. But dude, I, I would encourage anybody, like stand in there one time with somebody that's like currently a real pitcher. It is the hardest shit I ever done in my life. Well, I didn't and, even and see and, it. And you're talking even, fast. You're talking fastballs too. I mean, never mind when they start yeah, right, throwing right. breaking balls at you, and which is even, which is what happened to Jordan during that season. He had a 12 game hitting streak to start the year. Then they yes. start throwing breaking ball after breaking ball after breaking ball at him. But in fall league, he did start hitting those breaking balls better. And I, I like one of the greatest sliding doors moments. And you know, to take a Bill Simmons line in history is. Had there not been a baseball strike, that's right. Would Jordan have continued playing baseball with the improvement he experienced, with the push possibly for him to get to the majors? Would he have kept playing? The answer is probably yes, and he would have. Well, and I did watch that thirty for thirty a long time ago, but I don't remember it anymore. I had mm -hmm. forgotten that Francona was his manager. How crazy was that? Oh, that that, that made me laugh. <laughs> it was a trip. I mean, of all the people. Of all the people in the world that could have been his manager, it's freaking Terry Francona. Bobby, I'm curious your perspective. I I I saw a couple, you know, comments out there about how like why would why would they portray Jordan as a success in baseball when he hit 200, just over 200? Uh, clearly, it was a failure for him. I'm just curious about your baseball guy take uh, on Jordan's baseball career. I think it's pretty incredible. There's a reason that everybody was shocked when Tim Tebow came back to play baseball after 12 years off and was actually showing a little bit of power and showing a little bit of, you know, popping his swing and relative competence. I mean, not compared to, you know, a high ranked double A prospect or anything well, yeah, like that. No. Or, or a, and but, I think you can speak to this, Bobby. Play, I, I, one of my first jobs was a double A baseball. I worked for a double A baseball team. The double-A players are awesome. There is not this enormous gap in many cases. And many of them do go on to become Major League Baseball players when you're in double-A. The only reason the guy was in double-A in the first place is because, as they said, media-wise, there was no way they could send him to a smaller place. But you, you have no business walking into double-A. There, there's guys that play minor league careers and never make it to double-A. Like, that's not a... You're you're two steps away from being a major leaguer when you're in Double A. Yeah, you know? I think it's a shame that that we never got to see him try to progress even further than that, Kevin. Because, like you said, I mean, once you start seeing legitimate off speed, once you start seeing legitimate curveballs, legitimate sliders, that's the that's the true test. Because once you get to the majors, pretty much everyone can hit a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, which sounds ridiculous to say, especially in contrast to Verno's story just now. Oh. But pretty much everybody <laughs> can tee that up. And the thing that differentiates players and the thing that makes baseball growth so nonlinear is the ability to identify the spin on the pitch and then react to it. So I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that that's something that you can learn over time and but that some people it just clicks for. So maybe it would have just clicked for Jordan. What does it mean if you don't see the ball at all? 
<laughs> You're talking about the spin on the pitch. I didn't even see this shit. It was in the glove. Maybe it means that you need a. Maybe it means I'm, you need some glasses. I know. I think I need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, all right. Last thing. The other best part. We'll end on a fun note. Was all of these grudges that he holds. But George Carl not talking to him. George Carl not talking to him in the restaurant. The LeBradford Smith story, um, where you know they find out later that he's made up the whole story that he's conjured up in his mind that this guy said nice game Mike to him or whatever. And I there were there were some of my friends that were like, "Boy, you have to be a real psychopath to like make up something about somebody to hate them." And I'm like, "You would be, you would be appalled." Guys do this all the time. All the time. And I brought up Bobby Portis. Do you guys know this this story? I said, why don't you go look up Bobby Portis? Type in Bobby Portis uh, slap mom on on, on, oh, on Google. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I tell us. This is a good story. I know. He, this, envi- yeah. he, he goes into every game and he envisions that the guy he's playing against just slapped his mom in order to, you know, burn himself up inside. And so, like, it's not uncommon. Like, you would be surprised how crazy these guys are. Like, they will make up a reason to want to, you know, destroy you. And so, Jordan, obviously, look, he would take anything, any reason. Did you see, who was it that uh, George Carl responded to somebody last night and said, if George Carl would have talked to him in that restaurant, Michael Jordan would have been mad that he talked to him. Right. Like it didn't matter. It didn't matter that he didn't talk to him. Right. Like it it was kind of framed as, ooh, maybe George Carl should have gone and talked to him. Like if he did go talk to him, he would have said, this guy's trying to talk to me. You know the way he would have done it. Guy's trying to talk to me, trying to throw me off my game. Well, you got another thing coming. Like he's just going to find some reason, as petty as it may seem, uh, to destroy everybody. And I thought they did a good job of chronicling that, too. And that is a special gift that you have to be the most petty. You really do. You have to convince yourself of hating so many people all the time just for the sake of competition, right? Yeah, I I, I was laughing hard when he made up the nice game Mike line from uh, the oh. opponent. He basically scored 37. On a, it's so good. And like that's what makes it so great. Like You could just watch clips exclusively of Michael Jordan just talking, and this would be fun and entertaining if it were an hour-long sit-down with Jordan, because then you get the stuff like with Gary Payton, when he was showing the video of Gary Payton talking about how he was able to defend him, how he was the best guy to defend him, and Jordan's laughing his ass off and then just says, I had no problem with the glove. I had no (laughs) problem with Gary Payton. (laughs) It's just such good TV. It's awesome, man. Unbelievable. And, you know, look, the shooting numbers were not that great, but I thought as I was watching that, <laughs> when you're up 3-0, come on, you you know as well as I do, right? When you're up 3-0, you know you've got that team handled. Of co- You're going to get the maximum grand slam effort out of the other team. And so I really think deep down he thinks if I would have gone out and bombed them out and we wouldn't have let up a little – it had nothing to do with Gary Payton guarding me. It had everything to do with the <laughs> fact that we were up 3-0 and we should have given a shit when we didn't, you know? like I th- He really believes that, for sure. That's probably true, honestly, you know? Like, if if I would have, if, if everybody would have said, you know, th- there's no chance the Bulls sweep, they probably would have gone out, right? Then he would have gotten mad about that and gone and swept them. Um, or if Gary Payton would have uh, t- said that, he says that now. I wonder if he would have said that uh, then as much, um, if it would have been as prominent. Um, but the the whole thing is just so unbelievable, all of it that we got. And I, I do have this little fear, and maybe this is just, I shouldn't have this fear at all. Is there any chance 9 and 10 live up to 7 and 8? Or are we going to look back at this and say 7 and 8 were just a night of television viewing we'll never forget? Like, is there any chance this thing gets better in 9 and 10? Yeah. Because I feel like it's gone up. Don't you feel like it's gone up? There's 5 and 6 I thought was the best night. Now I think 7 and 8 is the best night. Boy, if if they raise the bar on 9 and 10, I'll be be impressed. That feels hard to do. 
Bar's that pretty that? high right now, man. I mean, I what's fascinating is that nine didn't get completed until last week, and then episode 10 doesn't get completed until sometime this week. So they oh, are wow. against the clock with these final episodes. And I, we'll see, man. Like, we'll see. I, I have a hard time envisioning how it won't be at least 75 or 80% as great as seven or eight. Um, but I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited for Sunday night, man. Well, I wish we could have a whole nother. They could start. I did 20 episodes. Let's start another 10. Oh, I know. Yeah, let's get like an outtake series, too. How about, right? how about as a good steward of the league, then from now on, we just do two hours of uh, the un- uh, give us all the interviews that were left on the cutting room floor. Let's do those for another like 10 weeks. You know, you know what they sh- you know what they should do? And, and I mean, whether it's, you know, for on camera, for TV, they could also do a documentary outtake series. Uh, I'm sorry, a podcast outtake series of some of these interviews, like full length, oh, you know, lightly yes. edited hour, two hour podcast, you know, f- the full interview with Carl Malone. If we see that next week, the full interview with Danny Ainge talking about the Celtics, oh. you know, 86 Celtics series, you know, like the full interview with Scotty Pippen, you know, Do you know the- what the cutting room floor looks like for this doc. Oh my God. Oh my, I know. I can't imagine. Can you, can, uh, there's probably so much, so many goodies that they had to let go of. Oh, so many. Hundreds of hours, probably. Seriously, between all of those players talking to him. Yes. Now I tell you this, like, uh, uh so I had on uh Sonny Vaccaro, who have been friends with for a long time. Uh, shoe guy. So they sat down with him for two and a half hours about all the Nike stuff. They didn't use any of it, none of it. So I mean, they talked to people that aren't even in this thing <laughs> for a long time and got all manner of stories. The footage they must have. Because you know they sat down with Magic, they sat down with Bird, they sat down all the people that you've seen in all of this. Hell, I'd just like to watch the rest of the interviews with his mom (laughs) talking about it all, you know? (laughs) And his brothers and stuff like that. Like, you could probably make another, you know, 10 episodes of just uh, stuff that they didn't use in this. I guaranteed. Hey, maybe they should do a season two. Season two of The Last Dance. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Except make it about uh, the Hornets. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. The I real would last love to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and it features, it features Devontae Graham and Scary Terry. <laughs> uh, I would I would I would love to know the real answer. What hey. what is what is success to Michael Jordan, the owner? Is it the bottom line? Is it money or is it winning a championship? I really I would wish love you to know. I really wish he would have said at the end of his interview about the whole BJ thing, been like, not only did we beat the Hornets, I ended up buying the damn team. That's how mad I was. At, <laughs> I was so mad at BJ Armstrong, I bought the team. <laughs> Too good. All right, Kevin, have a safe week. Thanks to Bobby Wagner, as always, for producing another episode. Everybody stay safe out there. Hopefully uh, this thing will be done sooner than later. But we will be back on Friday. And also, submit your questions for Friday's mailbag episode at nbamailbag at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody.